Imagine a small town. It could be your town where you live. In America. In Ohio, maybe. Do you live in Ohio? You may not. Don't worry about it. You live somewhere. Imagine somewhere like that. Now, in this somewhere, there's a box. And what's coming out of that box? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> Wait, let me see that. You're kidding me with this, right? What is that? This radio. But it's not normal radio. We all know about radio, right? It's knobs and dials and the weather. It's Howard Stern and Robin. But this doesn't work like that. This is something else. Where's the aerial? <laughs> now, the aerial in the phone is hidden. That's Courtney Jeffridge. He's an expert in mobile devices. Although it is communicating with satellites, it's doing so invisibly, you know? So, if, if I wanted to see the aerial? You, you can't. You can't see it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't see it. I can't. What Courtney told me is that when you listen to the voices coming out of your phone, you're not listening to the radio, not really. Instead, these millions of tiny fractions of digital data are flying through the air like butterflies. And when they get to your phone... Well, they become a podcast. Wait, really? Really. <laughs> I'm Funik Henschelbaum. And from DMZ and the Deep Brain Institute, you're listening to This Radio Life. This fortnight on This Radio Life, stories about pie and ears in the kitchen, on track raised curtain, the Takata of our show, you've got to be kidney, kidding kidding me, go. Fuck an animal. Yes, 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 Jeff. That's right. Put that. That's right, fucker. Where's my fucking fork? Up in here. I need four fly in my fucking hands right fucking now. Come on. Come on. Bring it here. Bring it here. Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. 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 Illinois. Hey, come here. Come here. Come here. Antigo, come here. Come here. If I don't see. Antigo! If I don't see two squid eggs, one frisay, and two fucking slices in the next 20 seconds, I'm gonna shit in your mouth. I'm gonna shit in your mouth, okay? The restaurant scene in the second city can be pretty brutal. Yeah, yeah, it's brutal, man. It's brutal. Uh, it's a war out there, you know? Bring your recorder over here, right? You see this gun? You see this gun I got here, right? The next fucking commie chef who comes to the fast with ugly fucking sauce on, like you can see here, right? He's getting shot in the face. Yes, I do mean that. Right in the face. I will make your brains into foam and serve them on an oyster. You got that, you fucking imbecile? That guy? The loud guy? That's a Capriscardi. And if you're involved in the Chicago restaurant scene at all, you already know who he is. Vanity Fair called him the Escoffier of the South Side. He's a pretty big deal around here. Now look, coming up, Zake's going to be using some pretty colorful language. But we're not going to bleep it. We think it tells the story better to leave it in. So if you're in the car with kids, or if you don't like listening to that sort of thing, then maybe you should skip this episode. Fair warning, because it's going to be the Wild West from here on in. Is everybody on board?
good. So, the first restaurant in Chicago opened its doors in 1978, and you know, it was a sensation. That's Horton Wild, restaurant credit. A, lo a lot of the things that we, that we would just take for granted now, tablecloths, pate, people had never seen anything like that in the Midwest. That restaurant was Fantino's Italian pasta and sauce. Children growing up in the Chicago area, it was, it was, like, it was like it had beamed down from Mars. Do you remember Fantino's pasta and sauce? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, Fant yes. Fantino's, yeah. We were crazy about that place. We were crazy. Why, why did they show? Betty, why did I'll, they show, I'll, Betty? It, it was sauce, yes, and, sauce. Oh, and pasta. That's right, pasta. Yes. Yeah, pasta. And, and had you had pasta before then? No, no. When I was a kid, we you you didn't eat pasta. Oh, you ate corn on the cob. Sure. <laughs> corn on the cob. And corn the, on cream, the cob. cream corn. Oh yeah, oh yeah, cream corn, corn and, and oh, corn yeah. on the cob. Yeah, yes, but not no, pasta. No, no, not not pasta. You didn't not eat pasta. pasta. No, no, you didn't. <laughs> it was like a bolt of lightning. I couldn't believe it. When Jacob Viscardi was nine years old, Fantino's pasta and sauce opened two blocks from his house. He walked past it every day on the way to school. Yeah, yeah, no, it was great. And, and every day, you know, I'd be crying, Mommy, Mommy, I, I want to go to the restaurant. I want to go to Fontino's. But oh, she'd say, no, no, eat your corn. It's no good. It's no good in there. But uh, I don't know, man. I didn't buy it. <laughs> I wasn't buying it. <laughs> so, so did you did Oh, you convince no, her? man, you couldn't convince her. No, no. No? But sometimes me and, me and the boys, we would head up through the mile, you know, and we'd shine shoes or, or maybe lift a few wallets here and there. And, you know, there was, there was a little money. There was a little money, uh, money. So I just I just took myself. You went by yourself to the restaurant? <laughs> yeah, yes, I did. I just, uh, you were, you were I just nine? marched on in there. You were nine? Nine years old, nine years old. Maybe ten, I don't know. I don't know, maybe ten. Do you remember what you asked for? I what do. What you ordered? Uh, it was arricchietti with chicken and sausage. Yeah. Right? And, and was it oh, good? It was, the best, it was the best thing I ever ate in my life. I mean, would it hold up now? I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, food, man. You know? Food. Right, I mean, it's it's all about uh, what it's all about context, you know. I like it, I like it when it's new. I like I like the new shit, you know. I like new shit. Listening now, I don't think it's possible to imagine the effect a restaurant had in 1978 Illinois. Midwesterners were culturally German. They didn't eat for pleasure, they ate to stay alive. Food wasn't supposed to come in different colors, different flavors. And Sake didn't just walk into a restaurant alone at the age of nine, but he ordered chicken and sausage, two kinds of meat. Do you know how rare that was? Most nine-year-olds couldn't name two meats. I talked to Jacob's mom. She didn't want to be recorded, but I asked her about Jacob and Fantino's. Oh yes, she told me. We always knew Jacob was going to do something. Hey, it's 6 a.m. in Chicago, and day one of what Chicagoans are calling the food fight of the century. As bad boy in the kitchen, Jacob Fuscardi goes up against the good boys of the restaurant and food service in a hearing that could be make or break for the rising culinary star. Jason Copter is live from City Hall. I'm here at City Hall, Brad, and we're waiting for Jacob Fuscardi to 
show up this morning to defend his Lincoln Park restaurant, Carnivale, against charges that it's been serving up human awful to Chicago's best and brightest. Thank you, Jason. And that's the subject of our phone-in this morning. Would you eat the meat of a human being, or is that a mouthful too far even for a food city like Chicago? We've got Bill on line one. Bill, would you eat a human? Yeah, I would. Okay, this is KWCCCCCCGJ. Let's look at the traffic. Human awful. That's right. So we're talking kidneys? Yes. Lungs? Yes. Liver? Well, not not a whole liver, but the individual lobes, sure. Heart? Uh, no, you can't harvest a heart. You can't? No, well, we're, because uh, humans only have one heart. Right, you know? they only have one heart, so... We're not killing people no. here. We're just making food for motherfuckers. Jacob first had the idea to serve human offal in Cannibale in 2015. The way he tells it, the reasoning was pretty simple. Well, I'm a good Catholic, you know, I'm an older boy. <laughs> so I, I, I look at the world, you know, and I think it's all happening for a reason. I'm a chef for a reason. There's birds and whales and shit for a reason, you know. We got, and I thought we got two lungs. We got two kidneys for a reason, you know. Do you need two kidneys? I mean, have you seen the size of a, of a, of a human liver? Oh, fucking thing is huge. You don't need that. You don't drink that much. It's just sitting there doing nothing. Does that make sense? What a waste. I can turn that into something. You will cream yourself how good it is. Oh, here we go. Okay, yes. sir. We have the cannibali tasting platter for you mm -hmm. today. Uh, it's a fatty liver on sourdough with caper berries and parsley salad. Yeah, I, I see Long that. pig taco that's served with a chipotle mayo and yuzu leaves. Rognon de clochard in a mustard sauce. And these are blood sausage and marrow canapes. So you eat right. those all at once, all at once, one bite. Okay. We recommend that you start from the left and uh, enjoy left. your dinner, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you very hey, get much. Us, get us a glass of the Riesling. So I, I eat left to right? Yes, left to right. Okay. I'm taking a bite. Oh. Oh, that's really delicious. Oh. It's rich. Yeah, but, but the salad cuts through. It does. It does. Yeah, that's really clever how it does that. Yeah. Okay, so now the... um. The the wrong Ragnan the Ragnan the Kloshoi, right? And those are kidneys. We we serve them a little pink. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. Oh oh wow, those are so good. They just fall apart. They just fall apart, and then and then there's the mustard. Hmm. 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 Oh. Okay, so um, this is, these canapes, these are blood sausage, blood sausage. and marrow. Is that, that marrow. that's bone marrow, right? It is bone marrow, yes, that's right. And how do you... Oh, we use a big needle. And bone marrow is incredible. It just grows back. So we can go back to the same guy over and over and it's right. like new. It's the same with And blood, is there know? any difference that you could, in the taste between donors? I like to think so. I think you got... Hey, hey Marco, we're using Ted today, right? Well, you got a big slice of Ted there. Ted's sure. my favorite. Sure. Okay. He's a fat fuck, but he's refined, you know? Take a bite. I want to know what you think. Oh, my God. Right? Oh, my God. That's Ted. <laughs> yeah. Mmm. Mm. I mean, that's... I don't... Oh. 
I don't really know how to even. It's like um, it's like it's like God's own like, butter. Yeah. Like God's yeah, own that butter. about covers it. Yeah. Yes. Hey, come on, give me one mm. of those. Yes. Mm. Thank you, Teddy. Woo. Yeah. Mm. This radio life is brought to you in part by Wipeit.com, toilet paper reimagined. You know how it is. Some things you have to buy, and yet somehow it's always a surprise when it comes time to buy it. Take toilet paper. Every time you just think, really, I have to buy toilet paper again? And then you have to go all the way to the store. And you can't just buy toilet paper, right? Because otherwise they'll find out about you. So you have to buy something else. And you can't just buy one other thing, because then they'll know you were just buying a token other thing. So you have to buy a whole unnecessary grocery shop. I used to do that all the time. And then I'd get home and it would all go straight in the trash. Every time watching good food go to waste, I'd think there has to be a better way. Well, with toilet paper reimagined from wipeit.com, you'll never need to buy toilet paper again. After just one phone call, wipeit.com will connect your house to one of their network of neighborhood toilet paper rolls, feeding an endless streamer of TP right into your bathroom. And here's the best part. Once you're connected, you pay by the inch, so there's no more budgeting for toilet paper, no more wasting money on cover-up groceries you don't need, plus you're giving yourself an incentive to only use what you really need, so the planet benefits too. I have wipeit.com toilet paper in my house now, and I've never looked back, except to wipe. Wipeit.com. It's toilet paper reimagined. Use offer code THISRADIO to go straight to the head of the queue and get connected to the future of toilet paper today. Now back to our show. Could you state your name and occupation for the record? I'm Gregory Hamilton. I'm a restaurant and food service inspector for the Department of Public Health. And it's your opinion that Mr. Fashardi is in violation of city ordinances. He's serving human meat in his restaurant. It's it's an outrage. It's outrageous. Objection! That's not the question. Sir, what's it's the not... nature of your objection? Uh, he's he's not naming an ordinance. He's just you have a city ordinance in mind that Mr. Fushadi's menu is violating. Wait, I, come on, Mr. Hamilton. My Mr. Hamilton has conducted a vendetta against my client. He's threatened his restaurant with closure. He now this isn't. This isn't some neighborhood taco joint we're talking about. This is a fine dining uh, restaurant. Look here, I. This sir, is a fine dining sir, destination restaurant for sir, God's sake. Sir, it's made out of people. The ravioli is made out Mr. of Ham- people. Mr. Hamilton, I, uh, I'm going to have to ask you to keep oh that under control. God. I'm going to sustain the objection. Mr. Hamilton, when you've composed yourself, I'd like you to restrict your opinion to city ordinances and any violations that you've personally witnessed, okay? Okay. So I'm going to ask you the question again. So how long have you been a restaurant inspector? Uh, Coming up on 28 years. Coming up on 28 years. Oh, wow. So you're a lifer. I guess guess that I am. I guess so. Is Is it a calling for you? I mean, it's not just a paycheck. No. No, I guess it isn't. I care about public health. It's not groovy, but it's important, I think. Now look, the hearing didn't go so well for you. No. And a lot of people are calling you a lot of names. Yes, yes. Loser. Yes, that's one. one. Jealous loser. Yeah, I've heard. Yes, that's one. Ugly, stupid, jealous loser. I've not heard that one. 
Oh, really? Well, well, here it is on on Twitter. Right there, it is. But but I want to understand where you're coming from. You think that eating human meat is is wrong somehow? Yes, I do. I do think that. I won't apologize for. Now, I'm not saying you have to, but I I think. I think if Jacob was here, he'd say that you're just holding back progress. You know, we've we've all got more kidneys than we need. After all, why, why not eat one? I understand that, but no, I understand. But what's next? You know, if we're eating human offal now, what? I mean, are we going to be eating dogs? No, no, no one's, no one's saying anything even like that. Well, once we've opened that door, I'm sorry. I mean, I I want to, but I just. I just don't see where you're coming from, like, at all. Okay. And you've nothing to say about that? No. Well, uh, okay. Okay. Well, you uh, should try it himself. You know, people think people think I don't see that guy coming here like a puppy looking at the window. He wants to try it. He wants to. But he, uh, he's scared, you know? He's scared. He's scared. New shit scares a lot of people. Gregory Hamilton couldn't convince City Hall, but he says he's going to appeal. Says he's going to take this one all the way to federal court. I'll believe that when I see it. Now look, I thought I was done with this story. It all seemed pretty clear cut, but then, from out of the blue, our office got a phone call. Hello? Uh, this is uh, this is this radio life. You're calling back. Is this Ted? Yeah, yeah. This is Ted. Okay. Look, I've got to talk to somebody. Well, it's amazing to talk to you, what? man. I mean, you're you're like delicious. What? What did you say? You're delicious. You're you're very tasty. Okay, God. Look, I haven't. Got, oh my God. I'm in a payphone in a Seven Eleven. I just. Okay, I, sure. I gotta, okay, sh- um, sure. So, uh, like. Uh, it's it's great to have you on the phone, man. So, like, how does it feel to be part of something like Cannibale? I mean, it must feel good. I think okay. they saw me come in here, Okay, man. Ted, I, no, I, you're... I gotta... I gotta... Look. Oh, no. I can't really... Look. Oh, God, that's dead. I, I was told that you that's were the dead. tastiest guy in the shop. I mean, how do you no, feel no, about okay. that? What? Ted? No, 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 I don't want to go Ted? Back. No. Wait. Did Ted hang up on me? Did Ted hang up on me? I called back straight away. No answer. I called back again the next day. I spoke to a clerk who confirmed that yes, that was a 7-Eleven, but he said he didn't know Ted, didn't see him come in. Thinking about it, I'm not even sure that it was Ted. Could have just been kids, you know, neighborhood kids, screwing around. I asked Jacob about it, over dinner. So, um, I might have... I'm, I might have spoken to Ted, you know. Delicious Ted? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Oh, really? Why not? Well, Ted's uh, Ted's gone, you know, to uh, to Europe mm. for forever. Mm. When did he? Uh, when did he? When did he leave? Oh, oh. Well, when do you think you spoke to him? I don't know. Like, like Monday? Yeah. So it was before then. Uh, just after we had dinner. Well, you know, Jacob. I mean, that. Mm. Oh my God! This is so good. That's it's pretty hard to believe. Oh yeah, what's uh, what's hard to believe about it? Yeah, it's really unbelievable that I was one of the last people on earth to eat a piece of Ted. You know, <laughs> I'm a I'm a lucky man. Oh huh? yeah, mm. yes you are. Yeah, Teddy Teddy was something special. Well, he was. 
Mm. I'll see why. Mm. Oh, oh, give me, give me another one of those sweetbreads. Mm. Oh, sweetbreads are good, right? This radio Coming up, the fugue of our show, nice day for a plight wedding, this radio life, I'm the presenter, theater. Give me your hand before this holy friar. I am your husband if you like of me. And when I lived, I was your other wife. And when you loved, you were my other husband. Now, much ado about nothing is a comedy. And while it's not so simple as all that, in the Shakespeare times, comedy just meant that there's a happy ending. That's Claudio proposing to Hero in the Royal Shakespeare Company's production last year in Stratford-upon-Avon, England. If you've seen it, you know that at the end, there are two couples, Claudio and Hero, Benedict and Beatrice. But you never actually see them marry. That's Arthur Fork. He's Professor of Shakespeare Times at the University of Oxford. Everybody comes together, promises to marry, there's music, and then poof, that's it, play over, off you pop. Come, come, we are friends. Let's have a dance ere we are married, that we may lighten our own hearts and our wives. We'll have dancing afterwards. My lord, your brother John is taken in flight and brought with armed men back to Messina. Think not on him till tomorrow. I'll devise thee brave punishments for him. Strike up, pipers! And so the question is, why? You know, why not show the wedding, you see? Well, yeah, because people love weddings, right? No, they're dreadful. But the question remains, why not put it on the stage? Yeah. And the answer to the question is... Turns out that the answer to that question is a lot more complicated than most of us have ever considered. We'll tell you what it is right now. And the answer to the question is that when actors marry on stage, they are legally married in real life. No. And this causes no end of headaches for everybody. Wait, really? Yes. I'm a professor. I called Bob Langtree. Now, he's a Hollywood lawyer. He's represented Depp. He's represented Spielberg, Sean Astin. And he confirmed for me that, yes, if you act out getting married on stage or in a movie, you're married. That's it. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's why in the standard movie contract now, um, divorce proceedings are paid for across the board. So a film, a film ain't considered wrapped until everybody who accidentally got married is single again. So how does it all work, uh, legally? Well, you've 
heard the saying, the law is an idiot. Well, there's a lot of truth to that. Marriage is a contract, and the way that you enter into that contract is by saying the words, uh, I do, and all that. So, I mean, that's the key part of it. And the law, the law is always listening. So when the law hears those words, the law doesn't care about what you were feeling. The law cares that you said them. And the law is an idiot, so uh, the law is an idiot who can't be reasoned with. So that's it. You're married until someone can persuade the law to let you out of it. And that's where you come in? Yes. Uh, I, I talk to the law, and I cajole it into letting you go. So you're like uh, the law whisperer? Well, uh, we just call ourselves lawyers. Sure. Uh, sure, that's, that's better. Marriages have become so common in movies that the divorce party before the rap has become a kind of tradition in Hollywood. Even so, not every on-screen couple is so eager to break their vows. In confidence, Bob told me that several Hollywood names, people you'd have heard of, got married accidentally on movie sets and have never gotten round to divorcing. There's been a lot of behind-the-scenes lawsuits. Famously, Richard Dawkins and his wife Lala Ward, they only knew each other because they accidentally married in a school play in 1974 and have just been awkwardly trying to make it work ever since. But Bob thinks that that kind of thing is a lot more common than you'd imagine. I wondered, though, is it just marriage, or is everything an actor says legally binding? A lot of things are. It, it depends a lot on the circumstances. Well, like a promise to pay somebody. Yeah, a sales contract can be binding. I mean, that can be a big one, actually. I mean, I represented a guy who played Richard III on Broadway, and he was sued after the run by his co-star. Now, I think there was some bad blood, you know, but get this, closing night, guy leaves a horse in his dressing room with a note around its neck requesting a kingdom. But he, he didn't have a kingdom, right? So that was breach of contract right there. And what happened? Well, he had to give him his house. Oh, my God. Yeah, a real nice place, too. Upstate New York, Finger Lakes region. I know it. I know it. It's, it's nice. Yeah, it's real nice. Real nice. A real shame. But I told him, next time, come to me before you open, because the law can sneak into your bed and screw you before you've even heard it coming, because the law is a dick. Biggest problem in the early modern period, of course, surrounded plays like Marlowe's Faust, you know, Bowery's Witch of Edmonton, Horn's The Uxbridge Hag. Now, these were plays which dealt with the invocation of demonic forces. Oh, I think I see where this is going. Yes, well, quite. To the early modern church, these were heretics. Uh, during the original run of The Uxbridge Hag, 14 actors were put to death before they could reach an accommodation. And they just kept performing it even even after they started executing all the actors? Such was the brutality of 17th century London. I mean, the play was a huge hit. The talk of the town. People would come for the play and stay right for the hanging. It's in uh, Pepys' diary. He was, oh, it yes, is? Yes, he was very taken with the whole spectacle. By angry will and crueler fate, this stick shall draw the fiery touch of demons' hands, and with such malice bind to my intent the horrid power of that unholy realm. We found out that a theatre company in the village was reviving the Uxbridge hag. They do it in the traditional way, with cis male actors portraying the women and animals in masks as the chorus. Hail idols, hail, ye black and cankerous whites! Bring evil down upon these rotten knobs of God! I do defy his comely grace and revel yet in nothing! The hag was played by actor Byron Threlfall. We caught up with him after the show. Okay. Great show tonight. Great show. Thank you. <coughs> <coughs> hmm. 
Thank you. Sorry, it gets a little stuck like that. Well, like we told you on the phone, we've been looking into the history of this play and when it was first staged, you know, 14 of the actors who played uh, your part, the part of the hag, they were actually executed for witchcraft. Goodness. Yeah, because, um, yeah, because as far as the law was concerned, they'd really been invoking demons, like, on stage. Oh, my. So how does that, I mean, I mean, like, how do you feel about well, that? Well, I mean, that's, that's awful. I mean, I mean... Yeah, that's really awful. Thank, thank goodness that times have changed. <laughs> well, we thought so too, but, um, well, look, this is funny. We, we found out that this play, when we found out that this play was on, we called the state prosecutor's office, and I hate to break it to you, man, but I think you might be in some trouble. Uh, uh I'm sorry? Yes, yeah, so uh, apparently a lot of those laws are still on the books. Why? It's just a heads up. Yeah, okay, thank you. Thank you. The law. She's a... She's a vindictive little cat. And you've got to tame her, or she will scratch. If you want to see the Uxbridge Hag, as of right now, it's playing at the Tutu at 52 in the village until next week. Let's be honest, there will still be tickets available. Richard Dawkins and Lala Ward are still together. After all these years, she reads his audiobooks. Thanks to Bob and Arthur and to Byron and to my wife, Clara, for reminding me of this story. That's our show. This radio life is written and performed by Simon and Delicate. Julia and Delicate read out some Shakespeare writer help with the stings and we used a bunch of effects from freesound.org if we made you laugh a little, cry a little spread your wings and take flight a little help us out, we're a new podcast so rate us, review us, tweet about us, tell your friends we could do with it we'll be back in two weeks